0: Hello, Malcolm here, and thanks for joining me in this class, part of a series called A New Thing for the Thames Valley and Watford Churches of Christ, beginning in 2024. We're looking at biblical characters, Old and New Testament, trying to figure out how they responded to God, calling them to a new thing, involving them in a new thing, what lessons we can learn about faith, about ourselves and about God, and particularly how to handle it when a new thing comes along. And today we're going to be looking at the Apostle Peter. I've subtitled this class, The Apostle of Hope. There's always hope for a new, new thing. That's something we see in the life of the Apostle Peter. I mean, what an amazing character he is. So much we could talk about. We're going to narrow it down a little bit today for the sake of time. But I think you'd agree with me that Peter's life is an inspiring example of how God doesn't lose hope in us, and thereby we do not need to lose hope in God. So whatever happens on our discipleship journey, and let's face it, it has ups and downs, it has twists and turns, whatever happens on that discipleship journey, the lesson of Peter's life is that God is always ready to grant us a new thing. So we're going to look at some chapters in Peter's life and then draw some lessons about hope and a new thing. Let's first of all talk about how Peter started out with Jesus. Here in Luke chapter 5 we have the amazing story of the miraculous catch of fish. Jesus has been preaching from Peter's boat. He tells him to let down the nets into deep water which is a crazy thing to do really if you're a fisherman that's not what you do but anyway there's a miraculous catch of fish and how does Peter respond? He says, Go away from me Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all uh, who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they'd taken. James and John, uh, partners with Simon. Uh, Then Jesus said to Simon, which is Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they'd brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is how it all starts. Miracles, a calling and a, and a, a leaving of everything. And we also find in Mark chapter 8, part of that uh, recognition of the highs of Jesus's early discipleship life, we find that when Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say I am? And they say, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets, and he asks them, who do you say that I am? It is Peter who speaks up, isn't it? And he says, you are the Messiah. He gets it. Peter has a glorious start in so many ways. He has a great start start, but then there is a great fall. There are some missteps in other places along the way, but the big fall comes at the big test, doesn't it? When Jesus is arrested in Luke chapter 22 and uh, we're in verse 59, Peter is questioned. Surely this man was with him. He's a Galilean, but Peter says what? He says, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And at that moment, While he was still speaking, the cock crowed. And the Lord, it says, turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine how Peter felt receiving that look? And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now who amongst us? has not had a moment in our Christian life when we would feel that sense of having betrayed Jesus. One thing or another has perhaps happened. We've been cornered in terms of talking about our faith. We've got ourselves into, we've participated in some sin that we are ashamed of. There are times when we feel like if Jesus was to look at me right now, I I would evaporate. And perhaps you've done some weeping. Peter's start was so glorious. His fall was so disastrous. If you live long enough as a Christian, you're going to have those highs and you're going to have those lows. But the story is not over. Let's talk about Peter's restoration. In Mark chapter 16, before we get to the main, the main story in John 21, in Mark chapter 16, we see a, an interesting little detail. Many people think that Mark's gospel is Peter's gospel told to Mark and then Mark wrote it down and edited it. And there's good reasons for that, which we won't go into now. But if that's the case, it kind of explains why we have this detail in Mark's account of the resurrection, which we don't in the other gospels. Because when the angel tells the women who come to the tomb and find it empty to go back to the disciples and tell them what to do, they say say to the women, go tell his disciples and Peter, that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. Why and Peter? Presumably because he is the one who called down curses on his own head to say he did not know Jesus. He is the one who most directly, verbally um, and disgracefully uh, claimed that he didn't know Jesus and betrayed him. And so perhaps Peter needs extra encouragement. Not to mention, of course, the fact that Peter has been designated as the one with the keys to the kingdom. He's the leader of the apostles, effectively. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, perhaps Peter needed that extra reassurance that Jesus was not done with him yet. Well then, once they get to meet Jesus, Peter and the other apostles, in John chapter 21, we find this amazing encounter. I mean, there's so much in the story. We don't have time to... Deal with it in detail, but I would encourage you to read through John 21 and ask yourself, what would it be like to be Jesus in this situation with Peter? What would it be like to be Peter? How might you be feeling? And Jesus cooks breakfast for Peter and he serves him, they eat together, and then he questions him about his love Do you truly love me? And then he concludes at the end of that encounter, where Peter reaffirms his love for Jesus three times, must be significant. He says, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, You used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he, Peter, will glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Peter's restoration, his reconciliation here with Jesus, is a beautiful powerful thing and indicates again that there always is hope for a new thing as long as we hang around Jesus long enough so we see his glorious start we see his disastrous fall we see his beautiful reconciliation and restoration and now after that in the rest of the New Testament we see his mission Peter's mission which is incredible in Acts chapter 1 verse 15 Uh, before the day of Pentecost and after Jesus has ascended, it says in those days, Peter stood up among the believers and he sorted out the next challenge they had. He stood up. I mean, he's the one who denied Jesus most vocally, but he's now the one standing up. He went from a place of shame to a place of confidence because of that restoration. He stands up and again in Acts chapter 2 when the spirit comes what does Peter do in response to the questions of the crowd it says Peter standing with the eleven raised his voice and addressed them that's the vast crowd and tells them about Jesus his messiahship repentance and baptism and three thousand get baptized that's a pretty effective sermon right there and he stands up confidently in Acts chapter 11 after he's been with Cornelius and seen the spirit fall and has baptized those gentiles he's criticized right he goes back to Jerusalem The circumcised believers criticized him, verse 2 of chapter 11. Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? And Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, and he explains the whole thing. But I love the way that it says he explained it step by step. He has a clear mind. This is not someone cowering with fear. This is not someone afraid of criticism anymore. He's, He's willing to be criticized, I guess, but he's there to say, okay, let me explain. This is what God did, this new thing that God did. Then in Acts chapter 15, when we had the controversy about whether Gentiles need to obey the law of Moses, and in Acts 15, we have the Jerusalem council. It says the apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, and he gives his little speech right there. We see him standing up to be counted again and again, And again, this is someone who denied Jesus and now has been reconciled and is being brought again and again and again into a new situation, called to new things by God, but he's ready to stand up confidently because he knows he and Jesus are secure. They're okay. And that, I'm sure, is what gives him the confidence. So what does the story of Peter teach you and me? Well, let me suggest a few things about imperfection. Imperfect, imperfect disciples are accepted. You can be accepted to be a disciple as long as you are imperfect. Uh, And even that happens at the beginning, right? Peter's really imperfect at the beginning in Luke 5. But even along the rest of the way of his discipleship, he keeps demonstrating his lack of perfection uh, in many times in the Gospels. But even, even after the Holy Spirit has come in Acts 2 later on, we find him being still an imperfect disciple. Uh, in in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 13, you may know the story there that, of course, uh, Paul is talking about the fact that Peter uh, drew back from consorting with Gentiles. And it says the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. So Peter's somebody who not only denied Jesus, but later on was a hypocrite. I mean, that's tough, right? It's in writing and 2,000 years later, we're still reading about it. But he, he had his struggles even as a, a restored, reconciled disciple of Jesus. It says even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Imperfect disciples are accepted at the beginning and imperfect disciples are accepted along the discipleship journey. And imperfect disciples are the ones who are, are uh, granted access to the heavenlies imperfect disciples are the ones who grow I and mean, Peter grows through all this we see it again and again and again and if you read the letters of first and second Peter which are amazing you see how much growth that there has been in him in his patience and his purity and his prayerfulness and his humility imperfect disciples grow because only perfect disciples don't need to grow right but you and I we're not in that category of perfect disciple no such thing of course therefore we have the capacity to grow into new things Imperfect disciples are the ones who get to do new things because God is refining us for something new. Imperfect disciples are the ones used by God. They are the people who, through whom God shows his glory because it's obvious that we are not perfect. Thereby God gets the glory as he works through us. And imperfect disciples, as I said earlier, are the ones who get to heaven. We need Jesus and we accept that. A commentary I read on First Peter, written by Warren Wearsby, is entitled, Be Hopeful. I'll give you this quote here from the commentary. He says, Peter is preeminently the apostle of hope, as Paul is the apostle of faith and John of love. In First Peter, we see some references to hope. I'll just read them to you here. You can look them up later if you like. In First Peter chapters 1 and 3 and in between, Uh, For example, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth, new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says also, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. And then he says, through him, through Jesus, you have come to trust in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are set on God. Again, it was in this way long ago that the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. And finally, in your heart, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. And we know according to Romans chapter 5 verse 5, look this up later, hope does not Disappoint. Our hope is in God, it's in Christ, it's not in ourselves. As Wiersbe also says, it is not the fact of life that determines hope, but the faith of life. It's our faith in Christ that enables us to live a life of hope, not the facts presented, not the world around us, not the fact that everything is working out swimmingly, just as we had hoped. No, our hope is in Christ, thereby we live a life of hope and can look forward to God doing new things. It's because of this hope that we have the courage to embrace new things sent from God, and we become a people ready to stand up and be counted, just like Peter, despite his mistakes. Let me conclude this before I give you some final questions with another quote from the commentary by Wearsby. He says this, This confident hope gives us the encouragement and enablement we need for daily living. It does not put us in a rocking chair where we complacently await the return of Jesus Christ. Instead, it puts us in the marketplace, on the battlefield, where we keep on going when the burdens are heavy and the battles are hard. Hope is not a sedative. It is a shot of adrenaline, a blood transfusion, Like an anchor, our hope in Christ stabilizes us in the storms of life, Hebrews 6. But unlike an anchor, our hope moves us forward. It does not hold us back. I love that paragraph. I'm going to put that in the show notes. It might be worth meditating on that and what it means for you and your local group. So let me conclude with a few questions for discussion in our local groups and for you to meditate on and pray about. Firstly, what stands out to you from Peter's story? The things that I've referenced, but also things you may know about the Apostle Peter. What stands out to you now at this point in your life from his story? Secondly, how would you assess the quality of your hope at the moment? Like internally, in your spirit, How how is your hope? Is it, is it thriving or is it in need of some some refreshment? How would you assess, thirdly, the quality of hope within your local group, your family group, your small group, your location, your church? How is the hope, the sense of hope in your group? Fourthly, what would help you to develop a stronger hope? What resources has God given you to develop your hope in Christ and in God so that you can have confidence in God doing a new thing? And how would a stronger hope help you to embrace the new thing that God is revealing to you and to your church? What difference would it make? Let me know what you think you can email me at the email address on screen or in the show notes i'd love to know what you think next time we're going to talk about our final class which is on the samaritan woman uh, which is going to be fascinating but i do hope you found some things here from peter that will encourage you and uh, well give you hope there's always hope for a new new thing whilst we have christ and there's hope for you and your group that God can do great new things in and through you if we hold on to our hope in Jesus Christ. Till the next time, take care and God bless.